Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? G'day legends, welcome along to episode 99 of the Howie Games Part A. Yes, the ton is up next week, unless, unless we suffer a Grammy Gooch style stuff up. Graham Gooch's wife there with the dark sunglasses, I would reckon one of the most nervous individuals on the ground. Graham Gooch has got 99. He's off for it, he'll have to hurry. Graham Gooch, run out for 99. What a disaster. Yes, a disaster. A disaster indeed, but it's not going to happen. It is not going to happen here. By the way, thanks for all the brilliant suggestions at MarkHoward03 on socials as to who guest number 100 should be, and it is locked in. Are you ready? Guest number 100. Das, I think we need a drum roll. That's the way. You ready now? Guest number 100 of the Howie Games is going to be announced next Thursday when this show drops, so please tune in. Thank you. So you search and try to find, but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood through your mind. You're confused and want to know, mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye. Listen to me, time is your key. You will find out by and by. Okay, guest number 99, an athlete who in her day was regarded as the best on the planet in her sport, Lauren Jackson. Three on the clock, Jackson got it! Three-pointer Lauren Jackson! Lauren was universally regarded as the best, except, as you're about to hear, by herself. Her honour roll is outrageous. Four Olympic medals, three silvers and a bronze, a world championship. Countless domestic titles all around the globe, MVPs, flag bearer at the London Olympics. This is a serious, serious resume. But Lauren's journey wasn't always an easy one. Along with the trophies, lifelong friendships, and joy she got from the game, of which she's extremely grateful, LJ also battled injury and mental health issues along the way. And in her own understated way, Lauren doesn't shy away from the difficulty she's overcome. And listening to her speak during the podcast, it left me with the general thought that this makes her achievements both on and off the court even greater in my eyes. Enjoy the remarkable story of Lauren Elizabeth Jackson, AO. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed King Selassie, come on children, tread with me, we want to reach Mount Zion. Welcome to the Howie Games, one of the finest sports people this country has ever produced, but always modest, so this is going to be interesting for her, Lauren Jackson, LJ, wonderful to see you, how are you going? I'm good, thanks, how are you? I'm excellent. Um, we've been going back and forth trying to get this done, but uh, you've got a job, you've got young children, life is busy, so I appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah, it has been pretty hectic, but it's um, starting to slow down now. I don't have to travel so much um, between Melbourne and Albury, so it's it's been good. How is life with two little people in your house? They're young, they're demanding. How are you going with all that? Um. Pretty good. It's it's really been a bit of a joy to be able to spend this much time with them, you know, and work from home um, throughout COVID. I feel a bit guilty saying that, 
um, because we're very lucky. Um, but you know, my youngest, he's just, he's going to be a seven foot three, um, force of nature. He's just (laughs) absolutely, um, out of control. Like my first child, Harry, he's three and never put a hole in any clothes. He's just so, um, I guess just reserved and gentle and gorgeous. And then Lenny came and he was just like, I'm here. And if you don't like me, I don't give a shit. (laughs) So he's that sort of kid. He's beautiful, but he's, uh, yeah, it's a learning, it's a learning experience every day. Has being a parent changed your perspective on life at all? It obviously has, but what's the major change for you that you now, you've got two other little people to look after, do you reckon? Well, Yes. I mean, I think for all my sporting career, I felt like I, I was sort of searching for something. I never felt completely whole. And then, um, the very, the first day I had, like when Harry came, um, was the greatest day of my life. And from that day forward, I've never had that feeling of, well, why am I here? Or, you know, what's my purpose or anything like that. It's just been, um, just overwhelming sense of love and joy. So yeah, I would say that they've changed my perspective and my outlook on life definitely. Um, and being a mum is just, for me personally, just the greatest blessing. What a brilliant answer. So you, you felt that what you you felt that there was something missing along the way or there was something else out there before the little one first arrived? That's interesting. Yeah, no, I always just felt like I was never good enough. I, you know, I, I didn't, like I said, I just felt like I never had any purpose. And I think, you know, a lot of that also stems from, you know, being a professional athlete and being in the limelight, it's not natural. Like it's just not a natural um thing for anyone really to experience. And so you sort of learn as you go along. And, you know, I I kept thinking there's got to be more, you know, there's got to be more to what I'm feeling or, but there wasn't, it just turns out I was missing, you know, not having, well, I mean, having children for me just changed my perspective on everything. And I, I think too, I just got sick of like, obsessing over myself and my health and my body and my fitness and, and everything like that. So, and, and also the injuries took their toll and, um, it was, it was an interesting journey that I went on and I was very lucky in it, but I was also very lucky to come out of it, um, and then become better from it. So you mentioned that you, you felt you weren't good enough. Was that on the court? Oh, I think on the court, you know, um, and that's what drove me to train as much as what I did. You know, I was always sort of shooting and, and just getting up more shots and just trying to figure out ways that I could be a better athlete, particularly as I got older. And then when I got older, my body just couldn't handle it. So um, it was, yeah, that I mean, that was one part of it. But I think that's that was the drive that also made me so good at what I did, you know. And I when I was when I was in it, when I was being who I was as an athlete, I um, never thought I was the greatest or, you know, the best at what I did or anything like that. I never had those sort of feelings. And in fact, I probably was completely the opposite. I always felt like I just wasn't as good as what everybody thought I was. So, um, and looking back now, I'm kind of like, you, you silly, like you shouldn't have, you should have just enjoyed every moment of it and really embraced it. Um, because I guess for me, um, but that, that may be why, like I was so driven to, to be as good as, you know, I, as I was, or my accolades suggest I was. Normally, um, frequent listeners to this show, LJ, know that I've got a couple of kids that ask questions of my guests. And that normally comes right at the very end when we've got through your journey and and talked about all the fantastic times you've had. But what you've just been saying there, my young fella, who is eight, 
and his name is Mac, but he rolls as the Big Penguin. That's his self-proclaimed nickname. Um, I'm only going to play that at this at the start, Lauren, because exactly what you've just been talking about. So you can handle my questions easily enough. Now you've got to deal with the eight-year-old. You ready? All right. Big Penguiny, I love your work. I want to play cricket for Australia. Hey, we missed the start. Here Hi, Lauren, Big Penguiny, I love your work. I want to play cricket for Australia when I'm older. I want to play for the Hawks when I'm older in footy, and I want to be on the World Surf Tour. I read that when you play basketball, you are the best basketballer in the whole entire world. What did it feel like? <laughs> now, from what you've been just saying, it's obvious why I'm playing you that question now. He's got some pretty lofty goals. <laughs> he's an ambitious young bloke. It's good. Dream big. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's dreaming big, all right. So it's now obvious why I've played that, that question here. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, so, oh, God, I, was, I got caught up in listening to his little voice and how amazing he was and enthusiastic he was. The starting five from Australia. Number six, Sandy Brondello. Number 10, Christy Harrower. Number 11, Lauren Jackson. What was it like being the best in the world? But then did you ever consider yourself that or not? No, like when I was in it, no, I didn't. And looking back, I just wish I had been a little bit more lenient on myself. You know, I wish that I had have taken the time to just go, man, I played a really good game today. You know, man, I, you know, I'm training my butt off. Life's good. But I never felt that good. I never felt, because I think physically I was in quite a lot of pain, um, particularly toward the end of my career. And, and that's when I was really focusing on my training and trying to do things a little bit better. Um, but it was just a bit of a spiral for me. And look, I loved it. There were times when I was in cloud nine and I was traveling all over the world. Um, you know, I'd be out with my teammates. We, you know, we partied a little bit cause we were young and we enjoyed it. Um, and I, like I, I did, I felt like I was living the high life, but, um, if you've not, uh, for me, my values and my family and, and being at home in Australia, I'm a country girl. So a lot of it sometimes just became too overwhelming and too big for me. And, um, and sometimes I just wanted to go home to my mum, you know? So it was, um, look at, I, like I said, I feel very privileged. I feel very honored that I had the opportunity to represent my country and, and be as good as I was in this sport as a female athlete, particularly during that time. And I, um, but looking back on it all, I, I'm definitely a much more complete person now. Um, I'm a, I'm a stronger person. Um, I don't think there's much in this world that could rattle me now. Um, and yeah, I, I mean that, yeah, I, I guess that's sort of it. So can you look back now, take all the take all the glitz and the glamour and the travel and the hardship and the highs and the lows, can you look back now and see that at a period of time at your best, you were the best basketballer in the world? Can you admit that to yourself or not? Because that's how the world sees you. Yeah. That's how Seattle sees you. That's how they see you in Russia. That's how the Opals see you. That's how the basketball world sees you as the best of all time. Yeah. Um, oh, look, there's so many other great players as well. Like, And I think it's so subjective. You know, you can't really... Um, I think for a period of time I was one of the best in the world. There's no doubt about it. Um, so, yeah, uh, and looking back I can say that. Um, but like I said, there's just so many other fantastic athletes out there. I don't think I realised how good I was when I was good. Um, 
And and to be honest, I don't go back and watch film. I don't go back go back and watch games or anything like that because more often than not, it makes me emotional, and I just don't have time or space for it. <laughs> the capacity to deal with that stuff. You know, your little ones are obviously ever, ever young. Have you ever put on YouTube and said that's mummy or not? Yeah, yeah, actually I have. And I think my, my parents have sort of done that with them as well. So Harry, he understands that I was a basketball player. Um, never seen me play. Oh, actually, I take that back. He has seen me play. I played in a local local uh, tournament here in Albury, um, about 35 kilos overweight, could not run down the court. But um, he saw me playing and he loved it. But the kids... Yeah, you know, they love the sport. They, they've got a ball. They play hoops inside and outside. So it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's going to be a nice story to be able to tell them one day, I suppose. Hey, completely off topic, did you watch The Last Dance or not? Yeah, of course I did. It was incredible. Wow. I know. What was your takeaway from that, being someone that's been in that professional basketball environment? What a show that was, LJ. I know. Well, MJ was the best, you know, and he... Uh, he was the best for a reason and I think that determination and that drive and that killer instinct, it's still who he is today. I mean, that's clear and evident the way that he spoke and, um, you know, he people don't have to like him but they, they know that he was the best basketballer in the world. So for me, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, um, I love that toughness and I think I was a little bit like that. In this, I was pretty hard on my teammates as well, not not terribly hard and I think as I got older I sort of softened a little bit but I um I sort of understand I understand it a little bit and um yeah I loved it I've absolutely thought it was brilliant have you met Michael or not look it's it's an interesting question because I think I have I have um it was in um 2001 and we were playing in Washington so it was my first my rookie year and I just I've got memories it was so long ago um but again I was so swept up in everything that was going on around me and the craziness of my life that it wasn't um it wasn't as memorable as something should be you know what I mean so I I am cautiously saying yes however I'm (sighs) I'm not sure whether he would remember it or whether it was a passing thing or whether there was too many people around. I don't even know. But, um, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. When I get him on the show, <laughs> I will ask him if he recalls the meeting between LJ and MJ. Just before we go back to the start, it's interesting what you say about being driven and, and not seeing you're the best. You know, we've done over 100 episodes of this show and so many athletes come at it from where you do. They say... I wish I'd smelt the roses a bit before, but if I had, maybe I wouldn't have achieved what I've achieved, which is what exactly what you're telling me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of a um, bit of the psychology behind it. You know, I think if you sort of rest on your laurels and, and think that you've achieved it all or you've done it all, um, then you're not going to, you know, keep getting better. And, and sport is you have to keep getting better because there's always someone coming along that wants to take your position, that wants to beat you, you know, and... For me, I just, I guess I was quite proud and I didn't want that to happen. And um, if I was sort of seeing uh, someone come up behind me, I'd, I know that I would have worked 10 times harder to make sure that, you know, I was trying to, I'd be outplaying them. So it's just the psychology of sport, I think. 
So where did all this start for you? You have uh, your mum and dad, both basketballers themselves. So tell me a little bit about them and when little Lauren first got on the court. <laughs> well, uh, my mum, she was actually the captain of Australia. Um, she was one of the first Australian women to go and play over in college in America. Um, so her. Have you talked to her about that? Yeah, heaps, heaps. Um, and you know, she went to college with a couple of uh, a couple of good friends or girls that I used to play in the WNBA with, um, Sylvia Fowles and actually Katrina Hibbert as well. So they all went to the same college my mother went to. So there was that alumni um, sort of story there as well, which was pretty cool. But um, it's what my mum sort of did was she she was a tough she was a very tough basketball player I mean there's stories around here of her training against the guys here and breaking noses and you know gentle giant but just what was was I read about your mum was she or was she not nicknamed the assassin Apparently. I mean, that's wow. what they say. So she, um, wow. yeah, she was deadly. And, and she also had a really good shot too. So she sort of was a big woman in those days who could shoot the ball, which was just unheard of. So, um, you know, I, I was, I guess the other story too is I was born a very big baby. I think I was over 10 pound or close to 10 pound. And my mum was playing basketball two weeks later. Naturally. Huh. She had me naturally. Gee, so she is a tough, tough woman. She's the toughest woman I've ever met. And, I mean, we'll probably get into it later, but they had a pretty bad car accident on the Princess Highway in, in southern New South Wales a couple of years back, right after my first son was born. And she, you know, broke bones, just absolutely was in hospital. Uh, it was shocking, absolutely. Sh- like, the way that she survived it, I will never know. But she is the toughest woman I've ever met, but also the kindest person. So I've had a pretty awesome role model in her. Anyway, um, she ended up giving up on the national team, I think in 84 um, or right before 84 because they'd missed out on um, making the Olympics, I think, and then mum just said she can't do it. She can't do the travel, didn't want to be away from me and my brother. And um, and so, yeah, pulled out and then apparently everyone boycotted the Olympics and Australia got to go. So she, that was one of her, you know, I think she sort of held on to that for a long time, but I think being able to sort of relive it all with me um, has been able to sort of resolve some of those feelings maybe. Um, and my so dad... Just, just, just on that, before we get to your dad, um, so Marie and Gary, before we get to your dad, what did it mean to your mum, do you reckon, the first time you went to the Olympics, which would have been Sydney, wouldn't it? Wow. So all of a sudden she's watching her daughter who, how old were you then? Uh, 19, I think. I was 19. So from what you've just described with her experience, do you remember what it was like for her to, to see you in the green and gold at the oh, Olympics? Mum was, she was such, well, she is just my biggest supporter. Um, and so, you know, she flew up my grandmother who was getting pretty, you know, getting late in, in life then. And, um, yeah, they, they were just so proud. I mean, it almost brings tears to my eyes thinking how proud you know, they were. Um, but mum, you know, I made the Australian team when I was, I think, 16 or 17. And we went to world championships over in Germany. And I, I was still, I was well and truly underage. So I must have been, yeah, 16 or 17. And she flew over to Berlin with me um, just to make sure I was okay as, as a little baby on the national team. 
So mum just followed me and right throughout my career, you know, if I was really struggling, which, you know, it's been well documented. I had a few issues um, throughout my career with, you know, anxiety and and some mental health issues. She flew um, all over the world whenever I needed her. You know, she just would pack everything up and come. So she, her and dad have have definitely um, done everything they can to support me and, and sort of get me through, knowing that they really are the only two that have been able to. Back to Lauren in a moment. Next week on the show, episode 100, and as I told you at the start, I'm keeping the guest under wraps. As for me, there's not enough surprises in the modern world, so this will be one for you. Now, I am often asked, which is my favourite episode of the podcast? And I've got so many different favourites for so many different reasons. But my favourite, as far as having an impact on me during the actual interview, it's a fellow called Jack Jones. Jack was way back on episode six of the show and really, really sadly passed away earlier this year. Many of you won't be aware of Jack's story, but he is simply the greatest Australian I've been fortunate enough to meet. A footballer, a soldier, a husband, a father, and so much more. It was very, very mountainous over there in New Guinea. And as I said, it's probably silly to say, but it was just like a job. You'd get up in the morning and you'd go out in patrol but before you did that, before you went out on your p- patrol, you're talking about a Corvette and making sure there was no Japanese yep. subs there. Yep. Did you understand the risks? No, not really. It, it, it seems people often talk to my kids and that about it. And they said, well, you must have been worried. I said, well, what could you do? We were down the hole of the ship and it was about 90-degree heat down there and there were three-tier bunks about 18 inches wide and the bottom one was only about six inches off the ground of the, the, the ship. You could hear the waves on the side of the uh, the ship splashing up against it when it was when it got a bit rough. But no, it, it's probably people say, "No, you, you must have known." And I said, "No, it was a job." Right, it was you just know, a job. The chaps would die alongside you, in front of you, behind you, and with the mortar bombers coming over, and you couldn't hide from them. They'd have the spotters up trees, you know, for the mortar bombs and they'd probably land 50 yards behind you and then they'd say, we assume they'd say, drop it back 50 yards and then it dropped in, in amongst us, you know. We had a lot killed in a lot of those raids. That's not a job then, though. Well, it, it still was because you, you didn't even think about it. You got every morning, you didn't know whether you're going to be still alive by the end of the day. What could you do? I know people well, I don't know. can't understand that. No, I, I have no, I have no understanding. You couldn't be frightened saying. because you had to look after. You. I had to look after you, for instance, and I had to look after that bloke there. You know. So you didn't feel fear? No, no, never felt fear at all. Jack was a remarkable man with a truly remarkable story. And if you haven't listened to his episode way back at number six, can you please do me a favour and have a listen? It'll make you feel all sorts of things, guaranteed. Alrighty. Back to Lauren Jackson. So many people are happy to talk about mental health and anxiety. And we've had a lot of people on this podcast talk about it. And it seems to massively resonate with the audience when they can see someone of a high-profile existence who they think, LJ, wow, this person, this athlete, has got it all. They're getting well paid. They've got a great job. They're famous. Um, before we get back to your dad, what does anxiety mean to you? Oh, well, I mean, I've had it my whole life. You know, when I was young, um, I think 
I, I, for whatever reason, I had really bad separation anxiety. So like on junior teams, under 12s, under 14s, if my mum wasn't with me, I'd, or my dad, I'd really, I wouldn't be able to perform. So, um, there'd be times when I'd been picked on a Riverina team or we're going to state championships or whatever, and mum and dad couldn't get off work. So we're being billeted out. And I mean, I couldn't breathe. I could not, I actually, I, being in somebody else's house and, and doing it that way, I could not function normally. And it's funny because mum and I were, because um, once they had this car accident, sorry, I'm sort of skipping, we had to move back to, I moved them back to Albury um, just so mum could do all of her rehab and everything once she got out of hospital because they were living over there on the south coast. And we were going through some memorabilia and she found this letter from my coach from this Riverina team. I think I was 11 years old and he was just like, I'm so sorry you had such a terrible time. Like, but I mean, when I tell you I couldn't breathe, I know this is when I was a kid. So, you know, I had some issues with that moving forward. Um, it was hard. So as soon as I started getting picked in uh, Australian junior teams, obviously we started flying overseas. So, by the time I was 13, 14, I was flying to America and doing all of this other stuff. And we'd get on a plane and I'd be hyperventilating and, oh, God, just the stuff that would be happening just mentally to me as a kid. Um, I couldn't, yeah, I don't know how I got through it, to be honest, but I think, like I said, having to go through this sort of thing my whole entire career, um, it's definitely, like I said, made me a very tough um, resilient human. Like, I think there's, there's not too much that can kind of, yeah, rock me these days. So. So from a coping mechanism point of view, obviously you learned to function at a high level with that in the background. What did you learn and how, how did you, how did you come to terms with it, LJ? Because all of a sudden, you know, you're in Seattle as a young kid, you're in, you're in Russia. You, you, as you say, you're flying around the world at that stage. It's not just going to a, a local camp in New South Wales. Yeah, well, I think that's sort of what made it a little bit worse too throughout my career. I think that's sort of why um, things started going the way they did um, because I think that I just kept it to myself. You know, whenever you've got sort of a vulnerability or something you don't want other people to see. And when I realised I was the only person, what felt like I was the only person going through this on the team, but I was also the youngest too. So I I learned to um, hide it. Um, so hiding that, you know, oh, there were, it's in, I don't know, like it's, it's hard to sort of look back on it, but, um, yeah, you just, you don't talk about those sort of things. Well, you didn't back in those days. And I just did not want anyone to think that I was, you're going through anything other than just toughness, because that's also what I only ever saw from my parents. I've never seen my parents be anything but stoic and, um, up, you know, like, Ever. Mm. I mean, I think mum, the only time I ever saw her cry was the day that I left home um, to go to the AIS, you know, when she had to leave me at the AIS. And that was, you know, it was hard. But seeing mum like that just devastated me. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. But you, you just learned to cope. And, and I did. So. So, all right, let's get back to your dad, Gary. Gaza. Gaza. He was a basketballer too, Gaza. Gaza was a long, lean athlete. He could jump through the roof, um, played for the Australian team, never made a world championship or an Olympic team, though, you know, Dad's the sort of guy that would say he should have been there, and he probably should have, I don't know. I don't know politics of those days, but he, um, mm. look, he uh, had a beautiful jump shot and from what 
from what my understanding is, mum fell in love with his jump shot uh, at a <laughs> national tournament and he was chasing some other woman from her team and, and mum said, no, nah, I want him because I love his jump shot and she went after him and got him. So that's how, and then, you know, a year later he's moving down to Albury, getting engaged and following her all around the world, so. Because of his jump shot. I love it. Yeah, well, you know what, I've seen photos of it and it's bloody nice. He's got the perfect <laughs> sort of form, you know, and he's up high, you know, he, he could shoot, he could jump. So, um, but he loved shooting, yeah. He'd never give up a good shot, that's for sure. So it's hard when you try and go back when you've got photos and uh, memories and things talked about within a family, but what's your first memory of playing basketball that, that sticks in your mind? Actually, I think my first memory was I was playing because I was obviously a very big kid, um, but I started playing under 10s when I was probably five or six. And I think my first memory um, is being out on my first on, in the court uh, at Albury Sports Stadium which is now Lauren Jackson Sports Centre, which is bizarre. But um. <laughs> but her latest, and she says greatest tribute, was the recent renaming of the basketball stadium in Jackson's hometown of Albury. The humble star popped back home for a ceremony in her honour. Lauren Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Um, Mayor, Minister, Larry. Um, I'd just like to say, uh, first and foremost, how honoured I am to be here. I, um, I never expected anything like this to happen. Yeah, being out there on the court and playing, I don't remember scoring or anything, but just being out on the court. So I was caught one, two, three, four, court four. Um, yeah, and so that's probably my earliest memory. Um, and then from there, I, I guess it was just being around my parents for so long. Um, I remember my mum training with um, a group of her teammates and I ran out on the court and I was like, pass the ball to me. I'm better than you all. And I mean, I was seven years old. So I thought that <laughs> I was that good back then. Um, but yeah, I was so lucky, Howie. Like having my parents' support and love right behind me gave me the opportunity to really shine. And look, to this day, you know, we're thick as thieves. Uh, we've built houses next door to each other in Albury. So they're just, you know, I've been so blessed and, and fortunate. What was it about basketball that grabbed little Lauren? Obviously, your parents are heavily involved, but in those days of, you know, when you race out after school and you go and do your thing, what was it about basketball? Um, well, I think coming from Albury as well, like I, I was a little bit isolated in the sense I was a different kind of kid. I was very awkward. I was very tall. You know, we, we tend to get picked on. Um and sport was a little bit like a sanctuary for me. You know, when I was at home playing or when I was at the stadium or whatever, I was being in a team environment really, um, I guess it helped me socialise because I definitely wasn't doing that at school. Um, and I think that it just was where it, it was natural for me. It felt like this is what I was supposed to be doing. And I remember in year seven, um, people were like, oh, what do you want to be? And these were just peers or your friends um, at school. And and I would say, well, I'm not going to be here very long. I'm going to be at the AIS in year 10. Like I'm I'm going to play basketball for Australia and, and that's it. So I would have been 10 years old then and I was telling people that. So I, ha I definitely had this innate belief that I could be great. But I think because I saw my parents doing it, you know, and I think because I was around basketball all the time, it gave me um, the opportunity to really believe that I could be something. Um, whereas 
if I hadn't have had those two going and playing basketball every weekend, then I probably wouldn't have had the same belief. Did the uh, you're probably about the right age? Did the Juan Antonio Samaranch City, as he pronounced it, Olympic announcement? Did that have an effect on you? Did that shape you and think, right, that's where I'm going? Or no, yeah. it wasn't on you. Well, did I it? saw that live. The winner is Cindy. And um, actually, I can't remember. It was either really late or really early in the morning. Um, might have been in the morning the yeah. announcement was made. And I was actually laying in bed with mum and dad and my brother and we were all laying in their waterbed um, watching this announcement. And, um, yeah, I remember saying to mum and dad, I'm going to be there. And they were like, yep, sure you are. <laughs> sure you are. Um, so, yeah, that was basically the start of my um, my, I guess, journey, um, knowing that it was going to be in Sydney and my dad's family was all from Sydney. So, yeah, it was like it was being home, you know, it was cool. I read your book in the last week, My Life, which is um, I recommend a lot of sports podcast, books on this show and I read a lot of books about sport before I speak to people and congratulations on yours because it's not and then we went and played such and such and such and such. It's a really deep dive into your life. So I, I f- was fascinated by it. And you talk about when you were 14 with a knee injury and you wrote something down. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was in under 14. So I think I was probably like 12 when that happened. Okay. Um I do need to also preface this story with, with this tournament where this happened was in January on like the, the 20th of January or something. It was around that date. But on Boxing Day, I'd actually broken my foot by kicking my brother in the hip. So I had had a broken foot and I was, yeah, like I was being a little pussy, but, I, you know, <laughs> that I had actually, I don't think you're a pussy. I don't think there's anything about you about being a little pussy, to be honest. But anyway, <laughs> continue, please. Um. So anyway, I, yeah, my, but I did let my teammates down. We got to the grand final of this national country tournament. So all the country um, states got together. It was no metropolitan kids, just country kids. And that's played here in Albury, which is awesome. Um, Anyway, we got to the grand final against Victoria and my knee started hurting. And at halftime, I went um, to the medical guy and I was like, my knee hurts, you know, fix it. He didn't fix it. And I was like, well, I'm not going back out there because my knee hurts. And that was probably my first basketball lesson, real basketball lesson, was that you don't let your teammates down. And from then on, I went completely the opposite direction. Like, you'd have to literally pull me off the court. Um, you know, like some of the stuff I went through when I was playing as a as an adult, um, I think that definitely sort of shaped you know, who I was as an athlete. So anyway, my parents had their best friends staying with them at the time that weekend. Um, we got home from the tournament. Mum and dad were really disappointed in me, very disappointed. And anyone that knows me knows that when my parents are disappointed in me, I am just not happy. Like it's not, I don't ever want to, you know, sort of upset them like that. Anyway, so I got in front of the computer. They had computers then. Uh, and wrote this note to myself saying that I wouldn't be a bag of wuss anymore. Uh, it's And my mum kept it. My mum has still got this damn letter. Like she, uh, it's, I mean, that was going on 30 years ago almost. So anyway, it was played on, they showed that letter on 60 Minutes. It's been in my book. It was everywhere. So um, 
yeah, well, kids go through these stages, you know, and they learn lessons along the way. And I definitely learnt mine. And yep, and I'll be doing it to my kids as well. So <laughs> from this day on, nothing will stand in my way is a part of the letter. Yeah, look, I think too, my dad, um, my dad is a very sort of, um, he's a tough, tough bloke. And the language that I use in that letter sounds very much like my father because he's very headstrong and he'll, you know, and, and so I, I think I'm very headstrong too, but I think I was definitely influenced by the way that he spoke. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, look, I, 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 I was an athlete, you know, and I was an athlete right from where I go. I was competitive and, um, yeah, just when I was focused on something, I'd get it done, you know? There's so much I want to talk to you about. Part of me wants to talk to you about basketball, but the other part wants me to talk to you about the experiences you had playing in just some amazing parts of the world. So you obviously had a lot of success in Australia and you won your first WNBI title with the AIS and then just dominated with Canberra. Uh, The Olympics in Sydney, I'll get to the Olympics. I want to form the Olympic discussion with you around Athens, if that's okay with you, and you'll understand why when I get to it. But you, all of a sudden you're the number one draft pick and you're going to Seattle on the other side of the world. Now, after what you've described about not wanting to go on away trips without your mum and dad, what is it like being the big deal Australian arriving in Seattle to play basketball on the other side of the world? Well, mum, mum actually had to come over with me to the draft. Um, so we flew to New York and, I mean, I had no idea what – what it even was. Like, I didn't even really know what a draft was. So get over there. Nike had arranged to pick us up from the airport in a limousine because I was a Nike athlete when I was 16. And they were like, what do you want to do? We'll take you around New York City. We'll show you this, that and the other because I'd never been there before. And um, and I was like, I just want McDonald's, you know. And so they took me <laughs> through McDonald's drive through in a limousine. And then... Um, I was so overwhelmed by everything and, and mum was just like, oh, because my mum's like, New York, let's go do everything, you know. And and so they took her to the, um, that, the Eiffel, the Empire State Building. Yep. yep. So I took her up that and I didn't go up because I'm afraid of heights and I struggle with heights. So I sat in the limousine and ate my McDonald's. Um, they took her <laughs> around and showed her everything. Um and, yeah, look, it was an interesting time because, you know, the flight over there was just horrible and we had really bad um, turbulence and stuff and I was just a like a nervous wreck, absolutely nervous wreck. And, and then we the draft day comes and they've got makeup artists and, you know, here's me with a bloody leather jacket and a pair of pants thinking no one's going to be watching and, oh, <laughs> God, it was just like something that I'd never even considered you know, possible for female athletes because I'd never seen it before, you know. Um, and, yeah, so and so it began and that was the sort of journey. We flew to Seattle straight away. Um, did, and they... did you know, do you know in advance that you're going to go number one? With the first pick in the 2001 WNBA draft, the Seattle Storm select Lauren Jackson from Australia. No, no, I didn't. And um, they sort of... They sort of keep you on edge, you know, it's sort of like, well, if we choose you, this is what you'd be doing. Would you be comfortable here? Do you want to come back? Like, are you going to be our franchise player for your whole career? Cool. So it was, um, 
it was an, yeah, like it was an interesting time. Again, I had no idea when I was in it what the, you know, what the rest of my career would look like, obviously. Um, and I had no idea what was ahead of me. So it was very daunting. And I think the Torian in me as well likes knowing what's happening. You know, I like to know what's going on. I like to have, to have assurances and, you know, I like stability and, and there was none of that in, in my whole basketball career. So I was definitely, I had a few battles, that's for sure. So you walk into Seattle as a, a young girl, all of a sudden you're the number one draft pick, you're from country Australia, the franchise player, like no pressure at this stage. What's it like assimilating into a different lifestyle, a different basketball style, a different everything? Well, it was um, that first year I felt like I really had to prove myself. So we played at the 2000 Olympics, um, the whole Lisa Leslie hairpiece incident happened. and um, Well, tell me about that while we're at it because people go, what's she talking about? Well, um, in the grand final, the gold medal match against America, Lisa Leslie, who was their um, centre, she was an amazing basketball player, also one of the best ever, um, she and I had had verbal sort of battles leading into um, leading into the Olympics and she, um, my hair got, my finger got caught in her weave. She had a weave in a ponytail and I was a, a very, like I, I had no idea that she was wearing a weave or whatever. Anyway, I went up for a rebound, came down. I was like, ah, through it. Anyway, long story short, that went, I went over to America the following year and... So through it as in you threw it at I was like, ah, this point. you know, like, whoa, what's that? I've done something, you know, like anyway. And then, yeah, it was a moment at the end of the basketball game. They were up 20 points and it sort of, it, it was one of those things. Like you just, timing's everything, you know. It was a big story at the time though <laughs> because, it well, it was portrayed as that you'd gotten a blue with her and ripped her hair out on purpose, which you obviously hadn't. After the game, Jackson apologised to Leslie. But when the gold medalist asserted that only a hard, intentional yank could have released the ponytail and Jackson knew exactly what she was doing, Jackson insisted that wasn't the case, that her fingers got caught. And years later, Australian captain Michelle Timms backed her teammate, saying Jackson was too busy playing to notice Leslie's hair situation and that accusations of a deliberate yank were ludicrous. Well, I don't know if anyone's seen it, but you can clearly see me going, ah, it's like, what? is going on here. I did not mean to do that. So it was, yeah, like when you, I, I don't know, I didn't even know that, like I, I just didn't know that you wore ponytails. So that was basketball for me. Anyway, um, get to America the next year and like I just had a, I was so afraid. Like I knew that people were going to be gunning for me because of that incident and I just didn't, all I could think about was that rivalry and I couldn't sort of see beyond that. So I went over to the WNBA and my, I just knew that I was going to have to fight. You know, I knew it was going to be a fight and I was scared. I was so scared. Seattle still with a chance. Tanisha right on the move. Plenty of time, don't have to rush. Bird around the perimeter. Three on the clock. Jackson got it! Three-pointer Lauren Jackson tied up with 1.1. And we're heading to overtime. The storm still alive. But, you know, in true Lauren fashion, nobody would have known that. They would have just seen an angry girl, <laughs> an angry young girl. So every time I stepped foot on court, I pretty much got a technical foul or a, something happened. You know, I was just there to fight and prove myself. And, you know. What were you scared of? 
just everything. Like I was just so young and I, I had no idea what I was walking into. So it was definitely the talent level of the athletes because they are incredibly talented. They obviously all those girls are like athletic. Um, you're playing sort of day in, day out against people that want it more than anything. And then even in training camp, you know, I remember our coach, she had this one drill where there were no boundaries. So, and it was just get the ball and score, no fouls, no out of bounds, like just go and play. And I mean, kids were fighting for their, like this was their career. They wanted to be on a team and they would, oh, it was, after that I was like, I am not doing this ever again. So I like I made sure I went back to training camp later in my like because I just didn't want to have to go through that stuff. But um, look, you know, for me, I think I I sort of had to go over there and prove to myself number one that I could do it, and then number two that you know I could stick with it and something that if I was going to be the best basketballer in the world, I had to be good over in that league. So a couple of things to come out of that, Lauren. You watched the Jordan documentary that we talked about, The Last Dance, and he was obviously a freak of a talent, but you saw that he just worked harder than anyone as well. So he had that combination. What does hard work mean to you in respect to your career? Hard work to me, I think it's it's more accountability, like you're accountable to your teammates. And I think when you're on court, like when you're out there on court, like that's when you have to prove yourself and prove your accountability. And, I mean, I think um, from the last dance you also saw uh, Rodman, you know, and how he went and took off and WWF'd or E'd or whatever he did. Um, (laughs) But you know what? He was back on the court playing, you know. I mean, he missed training and that was not good. But I I guess the the mentality of when you're on the court, you're here to get better, you're here to train and you're here for the team. And I think that just resonated, you know, and that to me is because off the court, you know what he was doing. He was doing whatever he wanted to do, but it was on the court and that's where it matters, you know, and I think that's sort of sometimes people lose sight of that um, because the athletes, you know, they've got lives, they've got, they are very individual people, you know, um, that come together for this common goal. So, um, yeah, that, that to me was, that resonated so were you a hard worker? Were you, were you trying to work harder than your teammates or were you just doing what they were doing? How, how I was did you out approach? there training, but no one, like if someone scored on me, I'd go back five times harder to make sure that that didn't happen again. I was that person. Like I, you know, when I was on the court, I would fight. I would fight. But that was, that was a competitor in me. That was what made me who I was as an athlete. So, you know, it's, it's, was I doing any more work than anyone, particularly when I was younger? Probably not. Probably not. But I guarantee you when I was stepping foot on that court, you know, you weren't getting by me. Laura Jackson, what in the world am I seeing out here? Laura Jackson for three. Jackson with 47 points, folks. Oh, wow. That's it for Lauren Jackson Part A. Plenty more to come on the flip side, Part B. See you there. Listener.